Hello and welcome. This is the film podcast. Why won't it end? Two guys. I'm wait, Josh. That's no, Charles. No, we're doing why. Wait, what? We're doing when will it end? Not why won't it end? Right. Which one are we doing? I thought we were doing American Pie. What did I say? You said why won't it end? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to When Will It End, the movie podcast where two guys. I got. I'm Josh. I got to bleep that out. That's Charles. They're not paying. I introduced the Patreon. They're not paying a dime. They're not allowed to hear you say why won't it end. That's exclusive. That's behind the paywall. What are paywall subscribers going to say? If you're not paying for the Patreon and you heard that absolute top shelf platinum content, you should be hopping onto Venmo. Wait, shooting me? I don't know. About a buck fifty seems fair. Buck fifty. Well, after watching these, how about just as up into twenty? Well, I mean, because the, the beginning of a podcast is exciting because you're like, there's so much potential here. Anything Ugh. could happen. Especially our podcast. And then it being us, usually like, you know, five or ten minutes in, you're like, okay, I think I get what's going to happen here. Yeah. Kind of the same feeling I had watching this fucking <laughs> American Pie Presents colon The Book of Love. Wait, really? I had the opposite. I was like, I had a cold sweat as I pressed play on my pirated version of... American Pie Presents Cole in the Book of Love. Surely you speak of the John Putsch film from 2009. Yeah, and I also realize that there's no colons. So we've been saying these all wrong. Like there, it's just... there is a colon. I'm looking at it right now. On the on the cover of the DVD, perhaps, which, by the way, oversells Jim's dad's involvement for the first two-thirds of the film. Um, there's a colon on IMDb, and as a certified film geek, IMDb is like my Bible. I mean, you were going to change your name to IMDb, right? If if IMDb is the Bible, J.J. Abrams is Jesus, God is Steven Spielberg, and the Holy Ghost is black and white movies. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Because they're old. Yeah, and ghosts are old, I guess. Yeah, ghosts are old. So, I, look, I got to say, people – there's a lot of reasons why people would watch the fourth straight direct-to-video American Pie franchise installment. But let's be real. It's the Bug Hall of it all, okay? You see Bug Hall on the marquee, and you're just hustling. You're like, I got to catch some of that Bug Hall heat. Well, you might also be confused if, like, wait, does this theater also have a Bug Hall? I've been dying to get into one of those Bug Halls. And then they go in. Do you think that there's a reality where someone saw the film, the the direct-to-video film, American Pie Presents, Cole the Book of Love, starring Bug Hall, in a space called Bug Hall? I, I mean, I'm just imagining bugs everywhere. So it is a terrifying experience. But I think, I mean, honestly, the American Pie Presents brand has been mostly a terrifying experience. So I think that's right on point. And this one had two scenes that really upset me, like really profoundly made me sad and upset. I want to hear and about we'll them to that. because I overall, I want to just have a general airing of overall emotional badge because this has been an experience. The last two movies have been... So disgusting, so distasteful, such an American movie that I left this movie feeling much lighter than I have so far in the series. I I hear what you're saying because, look, the best parts of this movie get back to what we like about the American Pie franchise, that ultimately people have to behave better because being a huge prick and being sexist and objectifying, all those things are bad and they shouldn't be rewarded. And obviously – with both The Naked Mile and Beta House, we got into a situation where we saw a lot of awful behavior, completely unquestioned, even promoted actively, with no comeuppance, no sense of growth, and just like this vile, depraved like nihilism that made me really upset spiritually. And again, you may recall in our last episode, I did argue that Beta House, well, one, should be stomped from the earth and all of its members killed and their ashes scattered to the winds and the ground upon which they were born salted, but also a convincing argument for the lack of a Christian God. Um, so this was not as – it didn't like dwell in that horror, but the moments that were upsetting were so upsetting so that you have this like bizarre spiking effect – yeah, yeah. That I found even more disorienting because it because the inconsistency made it more shocking. I think what we've what we found as a pattern is when it's when a movie is most like unnerving and just upsetting, it's when the filmmakers don't realize what they're showing to us is awful. And in the case of the last two movies, the entire premise has been awful, and it's been 
that hasn't been the focus. And that's what we've sort of liked in the first three movies was that as movies about teens trying to have sex, it's mostly about teens trying to be better people. And what I like is this is a return to that. But as you said, there's some strange homophobia in this movie. There's very weird rape shit going on that the filmmakers are passing. The newest Stifler is violently raped by a digital moose. It was harrowing. I was so unprepared for that. And it was really dark. It was, and then the line, it feels like I gave birth to a mayonnaise jar. It's pretty, I pretty mean, funny. So obviously that I found deeply upsetting. And I think that so that's the thing is when when the filmmakers make a joke or even just have an entire film be on sort of uncaring about these ideas and like they just throw in rape and homophobia jokes just because they think they can. That's when it becomes problematic. And I think the, the first three had doses of homophobia. I don't think it really I mean, I guess it had doses of like unconsensual filming in the first one. But the whole point of those, even if it's complicated, it's not quite as sick because the whole point of those scenes is to show that these people are not great and they're trying to grow and be better. No, no, I hear you. So, like, we're, we're back to that comfortable territory where, you know, for example, the character Lube, because, you know, of course, this movie features a character whose name is just Lube. So that was the, the confusing great part. Brandon Hardesty. Most movies so far have had... Stifler, who's a real name, and he turns into the Stiffmeister. We have Coos Coosman, who turns his strangely Coos-related last name just into Coos. Here in the credits... Well, no, no, no. I mean, unless you have a different... No, no, no. His name is Lubinsky. He signs the yearbook, the, the Book of Love at the end. Uh, Do you even watch these fucking movies? No. Am I doing all of the work You're here? You're doing everything. Yeah, I'm just... I, yeah. I just pretended. Well, let me get back to what I was saying before you crudely interrupted well, just me the credits, something inaccurate about the film. I've had probably... IMDb... It is our it is our fucking church. Oh. It is where I go to pray no, every no, Sunday. No, no, it's the Bible. Sorry, church I'm sorry, is the sorry. regal cinema at the mall. Okay, all right, but I bring IMDb with me and I pray from the pages of IMDb, the digital pages. Right to to Jesus, JJ Abrams. Okay, but I'm just, I just I want to say like, I, I've just had no. Pr- you interrupted my point. It's a quick point. point. It's a quick point. Oh god damn it! Fine. I'm just saying I had Fuck. problems I, with Oscar in the in the fourth one where he was listed. He wasn't even listed on IMDb until the very bottom, and then he says uncredited. Here IMDb just has Bar- uh, Brandon Hardsty as playing Lube. I didn't know his name was Lubinsky or whatever. That's that's your own fucking fault. Just shut up. It, just it is. I just wish hey, that there hey, was somebody. Speaking of Oscar, speaking of Oscar, remember when black people spoke in these movies? Uh huh. Yes, that I think was. It's been like three straight movies of almost no people of color speaking, and that is definitely like come on like you can still be as homophobic and and sexist and horrifically you know amoral and and at least have some diversity i guess in 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 the beta house there are people of color but they're uh again i i I would hesitate to to say that they are being depicted in a respectful manner no i think they're all you know using the asian stereotype as being good at math but no I, i i you could use the american pie presents series Except for the fourth one, which I think in the last episode, it's still going to remain part of the top for me as we look back fondly and not so fondly on this whole series. But um, this series has been, two, three, and four of the like sub-series, a textbook. You could teach an entire college course on the importance of diversity in filmmaking just by looking at these alone, where there are literally no speaking parts. This one had, what, the... There was the guy who liked anal sex, the black student who liked anal sex, and the black pastor. No, no, no. That's in church. Well, first off, this is uh, this is incredibly depressingly Sherman Hemsley's final film before dying. Which <laughs> Do you think is that, you think that just added? heartbreaking? You think that, that just sort of did him in? Well, I mean, again, it's like you, you bring in one iconic black actor of the 20th century. He calls no one a honky and then clearly shot all of his scenes in isolation standing behind a... That's why I'm not going to give give like this movie the benefit of calling him a character. He shows up to be the black pastor who right right it sucks. And yes, one of the two churchgoers who thinks it's awesome that someone said the phrase anal sex who high five. So yes, representation in its finest. Can I please get back to the point I was making like half an hour ago? You're such a shit. No, yes, because, uh, 
There's still something no, else. No, Lubinsky. Lubinsky. Is the only is other mention of a black. The only other mention. The only other mention of a black character so is when says, <laughs> that uh, she says, "Oh, I've only had You're sex with seven people." So it's important. And he's like, "Wait, it's only been six. Kind of and he's like, "Well, a behavior. black person." Because <laughs> in the last film, Beta House, he would have gone on <laughs> a black and been person celebrated for that. Was in there, Shut so up. that counts as two. Wow, that was a bad line to go out on. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That this that was like the. I wrote that down as how insulting. Like, how does that pass in a modern script? I don't pay you to write. But I'm just saying, how does that pass? Fucking, oh, I, I only slept with six people, and the, uh, the comeback is, well, one of them was black, so that counts as two people? How, Wait, that, f- that was in the movie? What? I missed that. Wait, do you watch these movies? Oh, God damn it. You're doing all the work. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, she's like, remember when they're in the car, and she's like, I'm saving myself now for Jesus or whatever. And he's like, you fucked seven people in one day. And he's like, she's like, it was only six. First of all, that whole scene sucks anyway. And then it gets to the final moment where she says, I only slept with six. And he says, yeah, but one of them was black. So that counts as two. Yeah, which is lazy racism, too. And and the laziness of these movies is, I think, what ultimately gets to me is that, like, we've talked about this. The, the, the limits of the imagination of these movies are thin, blonde, white women making out or having their boobs out. And that's like, you know, they, they mention anal sex. We don't get other than... You know, Stifler being raped by Digital Moose, which, by the way, reminded me very much of Holy Motors. And maybe <laughs> yes. it was a tip of the hat to, you know, Kara and the film, he, the, the, the world of film and, and identity and, you know, what the digital, the physical, you know, it, it's really beautiful, the, the inference there to, you know, experimental French film. But, yeah, this, this, the, the, the cowardice of these movies where the, the bit in this movie is we keep cutting to Lube, you know, we kind of love Lube, his fantasies. And his fantasies are like, again, we get – we talked about when I was texting you. We talked about how whenever anyone is sad, they go upstairs at a party. Yes. For example, the escalation of every fantasy in these movies are, and now it's the same thin blonde woman, but she's in light S and M gear, and we get that again. And the hair with Ashley. Lube loves hair blowing in the wind. But it's not just lube. This is just perennially in these films. Like it, it, it in a way is homogenizing and colonizing i'll go as far to say that no matter how irresponsible or out of context that word is being used like of imagination like everyone has the same like it just drives me crazy that this movie felt so generic in almost every way well so i i mean we i think we both did a very bad job of watching these movies but I think all the fantasies are Lube's fantasies. No, I know. I'm saying over the whole series of movies. Okay, no, but I was saying in in this certain movie, I actually liked that as showing why Lube is a problematic character. The only times we see boobs in this movie, no, that's not true. The, the that's where, not true at all. You're the dead scene where wrong. they go into the you yeah, fool. You're right. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes, but most of the boobs. Did stuff, you notice that they played the same um, "This Bed Is on Fire" song in this one? Yeah, I did. And they had pie. What's up so, with that? Well, they they were trying to bring it back, and I think overall it was much closer to the first movie than it was to the fifth movie or the sixth movie. I do feel like this was, you know, this is about people being better. People, it's it's shitty. It's not a very. It's not great, but it is about at the end boys learning how to respect women. Right, but five and six just went full tilt, like you know, tired rehash of college sex as opposed to this return to high school sex. And look, I think Andre. Andre Del, Mon- Del Morte of Collider put it best when he wrote that this film is essentially an excuse to show topless women, but anyone who rents the fourth direct-to-video sequel to American Pie is probably aware of this. But I, I think, so to get back to Lube, most of the boob stuff in this movie, with the exception of the weird changing scene and the sex scene where he vomits on her back, I think everything else was Lube fantasizing about the girls and women in front of him. And it's so extreme. The one where he like fantasizes about, I don't even remember their fucking names. He's like, I want to say no, Rob, no, Nathan. So th- is the very boring. Yeah. Oh my God. Nathan, who is the Kevin surrogate for this part of the franchise in real life is named Kevin, which says <laughs> so much about Dude, Kevin it- H. Uh, Horton plays Nathan Jenkel. Scott Silver is played by John Patrick Jordan, which is sort of strangely similar to, Sean William Scott. Yeah. And by the way, this Stifler I found the most unnerving because like his weird like (laughs) – his like dead eyes. We have to to get to Scott Stifler. He is uh, horrifying. This family must be stopped. Before we move on, I just want to say I I like that the final scene where he is – 
he imagines uh what's her name uh nathan i got the list up here nathan's girlfriend was her name was she dana are you fucking kidding me hold on i gotta read through these is it dana it's dana dana Dana, it's d-a-n-a okay uh and then he like enlarges her tits in his mind. I think like that I believe was just like a joke on how fucked up he is, is that he can't even like look like imagine a normal person's tits. He has to do something like he has to make them giant and overdone. And I think by the end, when he falls out of the, the ski lift and he like actually thinks about like goes back and like, I've been in friends with you since we were in middle school together. And I remember all these things that like you actually brought me joy to my life. And I sort of want to try that with you. It actually like, and then we don't see any more fantasies from him. I think those were like moments of him being gross and being a bad person but to the you're extreme. You're being so generous to this shitty movie where it's just such a cake and eat it too situation that it's not worth giving any credit. Like, yes, I'm happy the movie doesn't end with with like Lube like stepping into this full delusion and entering some kind of fugue state where he just lives in an endless orgy of like naked boobs getting blown by the same uh, Quebecois prostitutes as his friend or something and just like just gives himself up to fantasy. I'm not really sure if like yes, thank God he like like he humanizes women and tries to relate them as people. Like, but like again, that's the. the just the, the slightest amount of credit you can possibly give a movie this stupid. Well, I don't know. I don't even really know how this is that much different than one, other than that the characters aren't as fun. It's different than one because I would say um, they make more of an effort in this movie to have Heidi, Dana, Ashley, and the mysterious uh, Imogen, the British student. Yeah. Who That whole subplot I was confounded by. She's essentially doing a riff on uh, fucking Natasha Leone from the first movies. Of like the weirdly experienced girl who knows everything and is British again, which I found odd. Uh, but they don't really give those characters. I mean, it felt way more like the last couple movies where they're like, "Look, you just gotta lose your virginity now, bitch. Do it now." Like the first few movies, like I feel like, you know, certainly the first movie, Tara Reid and Natasha Leone's characters and their interactions are really crucial to the center of the movie. And in this, it's so clearly shoehorned in and they're just eager to get more and more opportunities to do like this stupid gross out stuff that I'm not going to give a credit for that. Cause it's, it's clearly a half-assed effort. Uh, I I'm willing to give it some credit. Maybe that's just because I've watched two really terrible things in a row with this series to have like a scene where the sort of shy Finch like person not be very confident and try to just have sex with Hmm, what was her name? Amy, maybe? The cheerleader? You're fucking terrible. Ashley, Jesus Christ. Hold on. The whole point of Finch is that we don't, we see him as a classy intellectual. And so, like, yes, it would ruin that character if all we saw was him, like, imagining his his friend's girlfriend naked and her boobs expanding in front of his very eyes. No. And to quote R.L. Schaefer, you know, the film series had lost uh, its original thoughtful and heartfelt tone. And although this film attempts to bring some of that back, it is, quote, too little too late. And Mr. Schaefer, I agree. I mean, I would just bring up Finch because I just believe, as you said, uh, Nathan is this one's Kevin. I do think that Lube is the Finch, if we were to like correlate. So we have Rob is Jim. Again, we don't get an Oz. And then we get, I think Lube is pretty similar in a lot of ways to a Finch. I don't agree. No, you don't think so? He's like sort of scheming he has plans to do things like but lube is lube is so like gross and shitty and finch is not finch is classy that's the whole part of finch you're just think because he has glasses and is chubby until he takes a giant shit where's the class there well but that's the point finch is embarrassed about that he's not proud of that right no but i'm just saying he does have schemes in a very disrespectful way to Finch lie. Finch would never write a come online to a $100 bill and hurl it at a woman at a dance. That is Finch tr- would never do that. You bite your tongue, sir. I have not watched seven of these movies for you to turn around and impugn Finch. All right, fine. Leave lube Finch is alone. Lube. Lube is himself. There's no let correlation. Let Lube be Lube. Let Finch be Finch. I find Has out. Let Finch be Finch. Has this series ruined us? Are we just fucking... Have we lost our minds? Yes. This is too yeah, much. I am defending. <laughs> I am sitting here talking to you. Mind. And I am defending I'm losing my mind. American Pie Presents. We've done too many of The these. Book of Love. I'm thinking. I can't believe how bad an idea this was. Like, I feel like I've lost myself. Do you know what my letterbox review for this movie was? What? 
after watching Beta House, I almost gave this movie five stars. And that is a sign that we've broken you. Yes, that's where that's what I'm feeling. Is like I'm so refreshed to not have rape and misogyny and white hegemony just like thrown into my face, and I'm like, oh. At the end of the movie, Eugene Levy gives a great speech on respecting women and everything else after that is great because it's natural. Like, that's... Ugh, I feel so wholesome right now. Well, no, the movie ends on uh, child pornography played for laughs. The movie ends on after Cody, the horrible younger brother of of the main character, Rob, who has all the charisma of a guy named Bug Hall in real life... uh, (laughs) He gets revenge on Cody by filming him sucking his own dick with a vacuum, which he uploads to the internet and then 10 million people view. And that's the joke that they, someone watched a preteen use a vacuum to masturbate. So the joke seems to be that he has unleashed an army of pederasts onto his younger brother as the ultimate comeuppance, which feels more like a Dennis Cooper twist than a fucking, you know, clever little wink. So, But that's, I think that's what this, un- this mistakenly enters into Dennis Cooper realm. Just because it's so fucking stupid. It's like, well, hold on. Oh, that's sort of funny. Kid it's using a vacuum. It's not just stupid, but it's, it's, it's similarities to Dennis Cooper and the macabre world he inhabits. Which, brilliantly, may I add, if you've never read Dennis Cooper, I would say uh, maybe find a nice, warm, safe, quiet <laughs> place and sit down and read you know, any one of his brilliant books. Uh, the Marbled Swarm, I think, is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, but uh, – this movie has a scene so genuinely shocking that I was, like, really upset. But, okay, so we have to get into a huge goof in the movie that I found to be – Charles, I found this to be upsetting. As Wait, a lover a, you of found cinema, a goof to be upsetting? Yes, because I think uh, what we can do with the moving picture show that we call the movies is that we can find a deeper truth – in the lived experience of humanity. Am I wrong? Am I just a star-eyed, a pie-eyed dreamer here? Okay, here's so here's the thing. There's that, and then there are tits. You, you did forget about well, tits. Are, tits. It's great to have those in movies. I have no problem with that. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is that in the hands of a J.J. Abrams, a Spielberg, a black and white movie, we understand more about ourselves and what it's like to grow up Jewish and in the suburbs and white. In this movie... They follow the Book of Love's instructions to go to a whorehouse in Canada. Now, let me draw you a map with my hands. Okay. Over here is yep. Michigan. I see. Okay. Yep. Michigan is below Ontario. Ontario is not a French-speaking part of Canada. I know. I knew you were going to say this. I knew that. I noticed this too. Quebec is not near Michigan. No. You have to drive through Toronto. It's north of Maine. Well, it's north of many things, including Massachusetts and New York. But, but I'm just saying, like. It is on the East Coast. Right. So I was very confused as to why specifically they had to go to Quebec and how it's never addressed in the film. Because when they go to the to the border guard, played, of course, by Kevin Federline. He did a great job. He – yeah, fucking Americans. Um, it's I was confounded. So clearly they drive to cross the border and they're full of pep at that point. And then they drive for another like 10 hours or something. I don't know. That was an unforgivable – Goof. And I, I was quite upset by that. And I haven't checked the Goofs page. Let's see. Did, did any sharp-eyed? Yes. Yes. Okay. Errors in geography. Three of six found this interesting. East Great Falls is supposed to be in Michigan, but they drive to a Canadian border crossing that is not over a bridge or through a tunnel. None, none of the border crossings in Michigan look like that one. Additionally, they go to a ski resort in Canada with a gondola, and there are no resorts of that nature near Michigan, as there are no mountains that size in southern Ontario. These features suggest British Columbia, and the frequency of the French language suggests Quebec, neither of which are anywhere near Michigan. You tell me how these people, these pieces of shit who made this movie, expect a pistol in our fucking eyes like this, and we just take it? It's unforgivable. I mean, I... You have this in this very scene. You have uh, once again an old woman killed by cum. Right. This was so upsetting. This was so upsetting to me. But you know what? That that gravitas of the woman being killed by cum and then punched in the head with a phone. Hold on. Okay. You're you're, you're zooming right through this. Well, I just want to. Sl- I just want to say that that could have landed. But because I was so like, where the fuck am I? This is this Quebec? Is this Ontario? Is this British Columbia? I just I couldn't even Look, really focus on what was going on in the whorehouse. I agree. It took me it took me out of it too. You're just blowing through the most upsetting thing I've seen in a long time. They go to this whorehouse in you know imaginary French speaking Ontario, which is bullshit. 
And also, they 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 get through the the border with just their driver's license, and only two of them give over their driver's licenses. I think they all hand over the driver's licenses, but I agree. Like I've been, I've had my. I've had my car searched at least a couple times going over the border. But I'm just saying you need a passport to get across the country, don't you? Well, you, they could have enhanced licenses. In 2009? Yes, come they live on. in Michigan. They're a border state. Shut oh, up. Oh, come on. I live okay. in Maine. I didn't even heard of one of those until this year. They get to the magical whorehouse. You're from southern Maine. They get to the magical whorehouse, and they go to sleep with Monique. It turns out, of course, the joke is she's very old and has huge fake breasts. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> she starts giving Rob a good old-fashioned gum job. And tweaking his nipples with her fake teeth. And so far, I'm like, yeah, this is the classic setup for comedy. I get yeah. it. So Erica – Eric, excuse me. I'm confusing my various uh, completely generic leads of these movies. Rob blows his load in Monique's mouth, as one does, getting a, a ripe old gum job, and apologizes for coming so quickly, which, again, is a hallmark of the series. He also came all over the underwear that, a- that Ashley shoved in his pants at Victoria's Secret. So he's just coming right and left. And gives them to her. Without warning. Yeah, it's a not a good message for people. Don't do that. People don't like that. Um, he then looks down and realizes that that the prost- the sex worker is dead and in the rigor mortis, and this is so fucking chilling, has attached herself to his dick. So her corpse is frozen on his erect penis. They then attempt to pry her off of him and then as her son enters the room are bludgeoning her corpse – with like a phone attached to his penis. It is just nightmares. Like, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I hated this. This I'm, is so upsetting. Yeah, Imagine I, you're walking into the whorehouse your mom works at to see her corpse frozen to a, a penis being just battered by a bunch of fucking high schoolers. That's like more upsetting than any David Lynch movie that's more upsetting than than like I did Pasolini do a do a one scene of this movie or something are they nationalism and that that's the thing is that we've I've already talked about this but like this is what this movie doesn't understand with the moose rape joke with the punching a corpse joke with there's got to be other ones but just like they choose to joke about things that are so awful that it's it doesn't actually enter into the realm of comedy you're just like, why is this fucking little dipshit punching a dead woman with a phone? And I just like, yeah, it was very cringy, which <sighs> both the Canadian men, they both look silly. One of them's wearing the big hat and the other one is looks like a complete moron. They both say fucking Americans. And I sort of wonder if the brand of American pie, like maybe the filmmakers are so aware of what they're doing, that they have created these situations where two different Canadian men can utter under their breaths or screaming with a shotgun, fucking Americans. And maybe that is the message of this entire franchise. So you're saying maybe this is like a Lars Van Trier style Dogville thing. Yes. By depicting Americans as like necrophilic uh, nymphomaniacs who can't control their lust and desire. Huh. So they finally, they, they drive across the border to this magical Canada, which the filmmakers, once again, they realize where Michigan and they know where Quebec is, they know where Ontario is, and they know where British Columbia is in real life. And said, sort of like in uh, High School Musical 3, when Sharpay is, is singing about her exploits in the world, and there's that fake city where everything exists all at once, uh, these filmmakers have created a Canada that just sort of represents all of Canada, where they can have two people almost spoken into the camera at us while they, they like there's a glint in their eyes they peer into my very soul and say fucking americans so by offering us this collage like vision of a heavenly canada which is not located geographically but rather created in this liminal space that yes. we experience yes spiritually emotionally this is this right is a- we're not present on the ground in Canada, we are in the space of "quote unquote" Canada. Yeah, lowercase c, right? Or all caps? Okay. Yeah, something like right. that. Where this is like this, they didn't know they were going to make the reunion, American reunion. This that was what this is two thousand and nine. American reunion is two thousand and twelve. We've got years to wait. So this was the end, and I feel like this is the last lap. This is the fi- This is the punchline to seven movies where you get to see Americans having huge problems with sex whether they figure them out or not the first three are sort of nice but they're all like based on stereotypes they're based on marriage being interesting and exciting oh i'm sorry you're about to get married fuck uh sorry hold on you can just forget i said that it's Uh, fun to get married i haven't done it yet but so far it's been great yeah uh 
And then you just sort of build through. And then we like really get to this underbelly of, um, I'm glad you mentioned earlier, like we returned to high school. I think college is a very hard, for some reason we can sort of talk about sex when it has to do with high schoolers because it's about them learning about sex. When you get to college, it's either boring or so fucked up. And it's just like, you're so aware of how fucked up American sex is. The the idea of sex before you've had it is exotic and scary and exciting and X, Y, and Z. And, you know, now that I'm like 30 and, you know, I've doled down the edges of my sad little life into like, you know, more of a burrito-like edge, I would argue at this point, like a warm, soft tortilla. Mm. Um you know, this movie had like a veritable waterfall of breasts, which surely a Josh in, in middle to high school would have been watching with rapturous attention, just like staring at those sweet, sweet titties. And now I'm like, yeah, there sure are a lot of breasts in this. Like, that's my honest takeaway. I was like, that's a lot of breasts. Have you ever... So we've, again, gone through seven of these now, and especially The Naked Mile, but this one and the last one too... Like it's it's sort of at you know that point where you like say a word over and over and over again until it loses all meaning. Like this is what they've done. They've just thrown so many breasts into a movie where it's just like it does that thing. It's almost as though I've aged. Like as though if I had been in high school watching these, if I watched all of these in a day, I would have made it to thirty five year old Charles where I'm just like, oh, it's just a it's just a boop. Yeah, and they've done that to me in the course of five movies. Yeah. Just the oversaturation and the diminishing returns. It's just, and also the boob enlargement effect that they apply to Dana <laughs> through uh, Lube's dream are, is so crude and poorly done. Certainly compared to Dudeware's My Car, which came out almost a decade before this, I think it's quite impressive. At the end, the the, the like the the digital breast augmentation that happens in real time uh, compared to this, which looked like someone did like a crude zoom in on a browser window. And then, like, <laughs> it's super, really it bad. Just terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a directed DVD. I know, but it seems like they put. I mean, look. Let's talk about the cameos. Tim Matheson does a cameo. Who's that? Tim Matheson, Otter from uh, Animal House and a million other things, including Whoa. on the West Wing, he plays the vice president. Ooh. Uh, there's that guy from that band. He was in it. Uh, Brett Michaels and of yeah. course Dustin Diamond, uh, S- uh, Sneak from uh, uh, Time to Go to High School with Zach Morris, and C. Thomas Howell, Christopher Knight, just a lot of classic Richard Romanus from uh, Fast Times. And speaking of Fast Times and, and that guy, I thought that the lady stalking Scott Stifler was going to tell him that she was pregnant. So that's what. It, so I want to bring it back. I, I sort of got interrupted when I was talking about Ashley just because I couldn't remember her character's name. I liked the scene where she's like. Lube, I, I, you're fine, but I don't want to fuck you, and it's not going to happen. I like that she's like, she just like calls it as it is, and I like how at the end, it's not like, you know, she's not pregnant. She's like, you were mean to me. You like, you treated me poorly. You had sex with me, and then you left, and you you basically abused me. You lied to me, and all I want is an apology. But she gets so much more when Stifler is <laughs> we can't raped go there by yet. a moose. <laughs> What We've the... already gone there. But he's I... he's raped by a moose. You can't. I didn't know that was going to happen, man. No, it it should be on the. It should be somewhere that you're going to watch a digital moose rape a boy. I I don't really. I I've gone back and forth. I know we've had conversations about trigger warnings. I don't really know where I stand anymore. But I, maybe we should have them because I, I maybe I do want to know that a 3D CGI moose is going to rape a boy. Yes. I'm relatively sexually untraumatized by the standards of our nightmare culture, and I found that very upsetting. But yes, I hear what you're saying. The point is that there is comeuppance. There is like a female character articulating, I'm a person. I deserve empathy and humanity, and fuck you for not offering that. I'm also happy that that was included. Though again, you know, Lube's ultimately rewarded. Scott Stifler is then raped and then allowed to grope a woman as a bit later in the movie. So bad. And it's like, it's what is the death. message here? Yes. Like, rape is he, him getting raped by a moose is revenge for him being a dick. And then he gropes someone and then sort of like she laughs it off. Like, come on. Let's talk you about can't Stifler. Do both. Because Stifler, I've never really liked the Stifler household, but this is the worst. Still, this is worse than Eric. He is worse than Dwight, even though those people are in, they are reprehensible and they live in a world that is like them. But here we have someone who's got that awful laugh, who all he cares about is fucking girls, and there's no comeuppance. 
And in fact, he doesn't learn anything. He just like is this this rock of bullshit that I think if you'd taken him out of the movie, it would have been a much, much, much better movie. It actually might have been a watchable movie because you would have gotten rid of the moose rape scene and you would have gotten rid of a character that has a flat arc that just remains as a pillar of rape. But but also his the performance by John Patrick Jordan is like weirdly dead-eyed and sociopathic <laughs> and reminds yes. me more of like this like horrible nightmare demon like reenacting like a version of Stifler, but like from hell. You sent me those pictures of a thick mall. Like, I don't know. There's sort of like a okay, thick Charles, mall vibe. Imagine you're a listener. Imagine you're a listener. Yeah. Okay. What are you talking about? Well, you just sent me those pictures just, of, a just thick, to explain, of, a, of a thick mall. I said it as a joke to a friend, imagine what Darth Maul's cock looks like. And I was like, that's got to be out there. So I did some research and I found some photos of what people presume Darth Maul's penis would look like. The best of which is a very, uh, not rotund, but sort of circular thick maul who's sort of like bellowing while erupting an absolute geyser of semen with his nipples pierced. And that is what Charles was referring to incredibly obliquely as thick maul, which, again, with no context, must sound like absolute fucking gibberish. But yes, so Scott Stifler, and here's how he's described on the Wikipedia page. Scott Stifler is a fictional character from the American Pie series of teen comedy films. His obnoxious behavior, everlasting sex drive, and frequent insults are more in common with his elder cousins, Steve and Dwight, than Eric and Matt. Take, though Matt, I would argue, uh, also quite obnoxious and horny and insulting. So he, he ultimately comes full circle in band, yeah. in the band camp, but he's certainly... Starts for, in column A, I would argue. For me, I would I would pair Steven and Matt together because they're both gross, but by the end of their arcs, they sort of learn to be better. And then I, I would put Scott. Scott and Dwight must be killed. Scott and Dwight and Eric. I think Eric is as bad as yeah, the others because right. he That's looks, true. not only does he look up to them, he doesn't, this is like the whole anyone, anytime anyone's like, oh, like Biden or whoever is recently like, you know, or I think it was Kamala, she's like, you know, bad cops make good cops. I've like do I don't know what the fuck she said. Like bad cops make good cops. It's hard. It's so hard for good cops when there's bad cops around. Anyway, there's no such thing as a good cop because if you want to say Eric's not as bad, why isn't he trying wow, to stop? This is a tortured connection, but I admire that you're you're taking it to this yeah, level. This I hear bad. what you're saying. I'm just saying, why isn't he doing something to stop his fucking evil cousins from doing all this shit? Well, okay, so I would say like um. To, to map this out a little bit, um, I would say Eric is lawful evil. Yes. Like, Eric is just boring and, like, the kind of, like, Nazi bureaucrat who just follows orders. Like, he learns nothing. He's just, like, fo- like follows the horrible example of his elders, and it sucks. Like, it's not neutral. He is participating in evil. He's just doing it in this, like, sort of, like, boring, banal way. Wait, do you want to do a stifler, a stifler grid? A stifler D&D We're doing grid? it right now. Yeah, okay. so I'm saying, all right. Um, I would now. This is where it gets. So Dwight and Scott. I would say Scott is true evil. Like he's not even chaotic. He's just sort of like this cold, dead-eyed, wait, what's the evil, difference? malevolent force. I thought you only had because Dwight is chaotic evil. So wait, wouldn't that mean that I would say Eric is neutral evil then? Because you, what you have is you have lawful, chaotic, and neutral. Yes. So I would say a lawful, a lawful evil is they're just doing it, and a neutral evil is an Eric who is allowing for like he's okay. bad. But he's not like... Okay, so Scott is lawful evil. Eric is neutral evil. Dwight is chaotic evil because he's just obviously like a monster pig who just he's... runs rampant across the world. We must stop Dwight. And then Matt, and here's where it gets complicated. Yes. Chaotic good. I think so. Because especially yeah. he, is, he is the best of the Stiflers for me, other than maybe Stifler's mom, who I think is just lawful good. Oh, we didn't do Scott. Yeah, we did. Scott's... No, we didn't do Scott. Oh, yes. I think Scott's got to be in the evil. Scott's got to be yeah, just like... Yeah, well, but he he has a redemptive arc. So I guess generously by the end, he's wait, chaotic good. How is he doesn't have a redemptive arc because he, he like gropes a woman as his final moment in the film. No, that's Scott. I'm talking about Steve. I'm so confused. Oh. Are you listening to how insane we are? I think he said so Scott. This is so dark. Okay, so We've we just got... like lost all of our humanity. Watching the American Pie movies. Like, Josh, Josh the listeners want us this, to finish. We have to finish. We don't have to. We, we're going to. We don't have to. But we're going to. We don't have to. Ah. Okay, let's <laughs> okay, just get so off we, the... We, ah. No, we have to finish. There's so many Stifflers out finish. there. We have to finish. We have Stifler's dad. Eric Stifler's dad, who is lawful evil. I think most of them are just lawful evil. Right, but Dwight is chaotic evil because, like, 
No, he is kind of lawful, though, because the beta house is a structure of some sort. Yeah, but he also he plays the the hazing. It's much more chaotic than a, a regular hazing routine. But no, no, hold on, hold on. Okay, I figured it out. S- original Stifler is chaotic evil. He doesn't really seem to have a plan for anything. He's just a lunatic. Dwight and ultimately Eric are lawful evil because the Beta House as a structure provides like a direction for their evil into this fraternity culture. Okay. Matt is chaotic good because he actually learns a lesson and we like him. And again, uh, performance-wise, Tad Hinkleblinker's performance in that is like fucking Lawrence Olivier compared to this shit. And then Scott Stifler is neutral evil. He's just he's just like a dead-eyed malevolence that has no purpose or direction. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with all that. Wow. we got to, Okay, you know what? I was feeling like a desperate lunatic a minute ago, but now I feel like we've really accomplished something now that we've set out the alignment t- chart for the Stifler cousins. And you know what this means? I have Thursday off. I get to make a little thing in Photoshop. This is great. To share with all of our listeners. Everyone, thanks for listening. This is good. Okay, um, let's turn now to a complicated presence in the franchise. We must, of course, turn to the Jim's dad update. Now, as listeners recall, in our last episode, we sort of fell out of love with with in beta house a, a again a cancer on society that that just fouls everything it touches even jim's dad was dragged down into the, the depravity and the amoral nihilism of beta house in this movie important new canonic information is revealed about jim's dad um namely one he owns a carpet business in addition to working at the band camp being a lawyer and being, uh, I'm not even sure. He's had so many occupations. Right. But he well, he's a carpet business. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not clear what his his business was in the first in the initial franchise. And I like that. I like that it, he was just Jim's dad. Obviously, he had a job because he has a nice house, or maybe he just inherited something. I don't know what he did. But it was he was Jim's dad. He was in the credits as Jim's dad. That was his role. He did not need his occupation. Right. And more importantly, we discover in this movie, which is a canonic thing, I actually kind of liked. Jim's dad wrote the Book of Love. Yes. Okay? We're bringing it all back to the first fucking movie. Yes. Because Jim's dad, again, in this this deity-like presence in this series, who just seems to be omnipotent and, and omnipresent, was there for the, the genesis of, of one of the great tomes of the carnal human experience, the Book of Love. When he, So the, the problem is, in order to have him be in these movies now, they need to give him a role. Where before being Jim's dad, Jim was in the movie... It would make sense that he would talk, Jim's dad would show up and he was beautiful in all of them. I think so far three has been like where he becomes the dad and the dad part of the story was so good. He was at his most Jim's dad. But now like they're trying to just like shoehorn him in. And I think he worked in band camp because they're like, oh, my, my daughter-in-law can't be here anymore. So I took over. Cool. That makes sense. It's like still makes sense that he's a part of the family. Now he just like, He's a fucking lawyer for these scumbags. And and then now he becomes a carpet salesman because I guess it's just a joke about... Like carpet eating, I guess, or something? Yeah. Is that the joke? I think that's it. I did like his little car, though, that was fully carpeted from steering wheel amazing. to tires. Yeah, that was good. Well, I liked it because it gave us an opportunity to go fully into his world for a little bit, which I really enjoyed. And when they're recompiling the water-damaged Book of Love and we just sort of turn the center of this carpet warehouse into like... A fucking like you know war room of sex advice. That was I thought like I liked that. I liked it was that he, good. His his emotional reaction to seeing the book of love was so yes. like real and emotional and intense. I love Eugene Levy. He's the best. God, that was great. So he's back, and I it's it's I am sort of glad that he was bad in the last one because I don't think anything should survive Beta House. And I, I do appreciate that it was fully corrupted because it makes sense. Everything was corrupted by that. And now we have a new movie where it has much more of a heart of uh, American Pie. And he's I don't think he's as good as he was in the first American Pie movie, but he's got his magic. He, he doesn't blunder around and like... He's not quite the Jim's dad, but you know what? It's been years, and he's grown you know, up too. I don't too. know. I found him very smooth and enjoyable in this. Like, I, I, well, I, 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 oh, yeah. I liked his performance. And also, look... Obviously, we're a long way from the writing of Adam Hertz, who created all these characters all way back when in the 1990s. But Jim's dad, or again in this movie, Noah Levenstein, is given an opportunity to deliver a monologue. And I have it in front of me, and it is absolutely one of the highlights of this 
And that, that's this movie in a nutshell. It goes from like necrophilia and bestial rape to this. You know what I mean? It's just it's such a staggering roller coaster ride. Yes. Okay. Mr. Levenstein, after successfully recombining the book of sex, including a scene where inexplicably Tim Matheson plays a character named Carlito, which I thought was just like, why not? You know? Yeah. J- Jim's dad, when they have finally put back together the, the book of love, delivers the following monologue while standing atop a table. This is not a sex manual. It is a life manual. I've been married for 35 years, and not just because I'm this handsome dude who knows how to satisfy a woman. I've been married for 35 years because I love my wife and I respect my wife. Whether it's Amsterdam or East Great Falls, it all comes down to this. If you're honest and treat a girl with respect, then whatever happens is meant to happen because it's all perfectly natural. Boys, I've prepared you for this quest. And before you lies the biggest test of your lives. This book is a powerful weapon. So use it for good, not evil. Yeah, I'm going to use that when you get married. As my speech. You're going to leave, uh, I assume, all the references to Amsterdam and East Great Falls. and. I mean, if you want. Yeah. I can change You could it. do like wh- whether it's... Uh, um, East Hampton. The Northeast, the Northeast Kingdom or Lanesboro. And more yeah. like a me and Allie specific. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll write that down. Yeah. that's. I mean, so I guess when you say he's smooth, I don't think he was very smooth in the first three movies. And that's, that was for me, like my intro to Jim's dad as a character was his like bumbling around stuff. And I found his characters to be much more confident in the direct to DVD movies. But it's, he's, he was, it was refreshing to have him back on my team. It was nice for him to like really spell out where the other movies were so obviously anti-woman an anti-consent this movie is like back to just like having a whole speech by our king and god man just who says no you must be generous loving and honest and everything after that is is fine and it's a really nice message it's it's uh not a great movie but it's it's, it's you, you can't argue with it and you don't want to and it's jim's dad and he's back yeah and again i think certainly after the franchise low of beta house uh, it, it was very comforting to have him really put a, a very fine point on this is how we should behave everybody because Beta House just evolves into an absolute nightmare. It's it's a weird ship. The thing about these movies that's so funny, specifically this one in Beta House, is that you know sometimes there's like a really – you read about a really disturbing movie and you maybe don't want to watch it but you read the Wikipedia description. Yeah. Like, you know, I've never seen a Serbian movie. I don't need to. It's fine. My life is complicated enough already. But I've wanted to understand why it's considered, you know, so upsetting. So I've read the Wikipedia. You could write these movies like a Serbian movie in, like, description alone. Like, if you took all of the tone out of much of this. Right. Like, it sounds like this sort of, like, these twisted horror. Like, just it just sounds so fucked up on the page. That's a great way to put sort of what I've been talking about this whole episode was that they have unintentionally stumbled upon horror and very poorly tried to pass it off as comedy. And that's why this one suffers the most for me, because with Beta House, it just settles into this like sub gutter level nightmare and never budges. We never even come close to escaping that hell. This just vacillates back and forth and back and forth and... Again, those two sharp moments of humor so genuinely upsetting and, and crude in, like, the, the purest sense of the term. Like, that really hit me harder than Beta House because it wasn't – because of how weird it was and how out of place it felt. So it, I'm just saying it left me emotionally confused like a bad relationship going from a Jim's dad's monologue about respect and love to – Stifler being fucked by a, you know, a non-existent moose while a crowd of people like essentially cheer as he's raped and humiliated. So like that was harder for me to handle for sheer shock value than Beta House, which was just depressing from start to finish. Yes, I I think that's that's accurate. Beta House has nothing that's particularly like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm watching this because the whole movie is at a level where it doesn't need to get like the whole movie is there. Where here it does have these spikes. But I, I think for me, like, honestly, these have the best female characters, I think, since the first one. And maybe, I don't know, there's, I, I, we've talked about this before. Like, there are good, like, there are great female characters in movies. Heidi's awesome. I think she's a really great character. I think Ashley's a good character. And I think 
uh, Imogen's a fun character. Like, I think all these women do work well on their own and they talk to each other. I think earlier you said they didn't really have much going on, but they do. Like, there seems like they're talking to each other and they're not just like in the last one where they're like, oh, you should get fucked just because. Like, they have that weird conversation in the bathroom where they're all just using the mirrors. I don't know. I When I go to the bathroom, I just piss and leave but i guess you're not a high school girl so there could be some differences yeah. in your experience food for thought yeah um where like one of them's like oh you sh- should have sex she's like well no i don't really want to she's like yeah it's complicated they, they actually have a conversation it's not just intimidation and they're, they're all confused and they don't really know what they want and through the course of the movie like i really like the scene where she's talking about just wanting to get fucked and obviously he wants to fuck her, but then we find out that she wants to fuck him and he's like, well, why didn't you say anything? And she says, well, why didn't you say anything? And this is like what's been lacking in these movies for so long is characters talking to each other in a way that people would talk to each other about shit. Like when the three boys are talking about the book of love and talking about wanting to get fucked and talking about all these plans together and reconstructing it, it's like these are actually characters doing something and talking to each other like friends with. And I believed as boring as the characters are and sort of like as two-dimensional versions of ones from the first movie i believed that these people would talk to each other like that and i was like invested in watching them do what they were doing you know i think let's let's put a cap on the film discussion at this point i think that's uh, that's a nice upbeat way of ending it i agree it harkens back to the humanism of the first movies and i like that now we must ask the titular question charles now this is a unique situation in our podcast history because we're now ending a very distinct chunk of of a sub-franchise and returning to the main franchise. So in a way, I'm not sure whether or not it makes sense to ask when will it end about the next movie or the next direct-to-video movie because obviously we're now jumping back into the main storyline. Right. But it, I just to, to cut through a lot of needlessly complicated bullshit, um, I'm excited to see American Reunion. I enjoyed the first three movies. Certainly this has been a hellish uh, like side road and I'm very excited to I, – I may be desperately optimistic – that we can get back on track by going back to a bunch – like, as again, I've spoiled for myself. We're going to get Oz again. We're going to get Natasha Leone. A lot of the characters who were not in American Wedding are coming back for this. So, yeah, I'm actually – I've been looking forward to this. I've enjoyed the main movies. I can't believe this is the eighth one we're watching. Like, that's fucked up. Uh, but I am excited, I guess, to to take one step closer to ending this. And now the stakes are really high. <laughs> if, if this movie sucks, I'm just really going to be sad. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to think of the only other franchise that has been this long has been Fast and the Furious, which is like so convoluted. The characters are so connected. Everything is like so much going on. Every movie feels like it's doing bigger and bigger things. And this is also eight parts. And it's like we have watched nothing. And yet we've watched so little. So little. And yeah. Maybe the ninth one, the most recent one, which again came out this month. We're recording this in October 2020. So we can finally finish off our nine-part series, which is thrilling. Right. And that that one's going to be a Patreon only because it doesn't have Jim's dad in it. That's true. Yeah. So it's really not a part of the, the canon, I don't think. You'll have to tune into the Patreon to find out the thrilling conclusion, the ninth installment in the American Pie universe. Um, okay, so are you asking when will it end? Let's just uh, no. I'm it. not asking when will it end because uh, I, I think the graph is heading in the right direction, and I'm hopeful. It is weird. We decided to watch these in year of release rather than in like two parts, and I think we did the right choice. Uh, we're 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 still. I feel like this brought us back, sort of like a Rogue One style. You know, there was pie in it. There was fucking bread. There was. Things that reminded me, there was Jim's dad, things that reminded me of the first movie, and it's a really nice segue. It's as though you watched Rogue One and then immediately, honestly, started to talk about Star Wars, but like Beta House and Naked Mile are like, you know, uh, Sith and clones. And then we get Rogue One to bridge that gap from a true nightmare into the something that we can come fall back on. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I love. Yeah, we're, we're, we're building back steam given that we know we are not done yet. It's nice that we're at this point because, wow, the lows have been so low. And uh, Jesus I mean, Christ. And so, to be honest, this this had some very funny lines. I wrote down, like, I thought the joke were when he's like, oh, that was $149, but they're so small. That was funny. I, like, I laughed. That was a good joke. I loved the scene where he's like the weird fantasy from lube where he's at the basketball game and then it goes to this photo shoot where the mascot in that weird like guy with a mustache riding a fake donkey 
was his assistant. I just I liked the way that they there was confidence in the way they handled some of their jokes, and when they worked, I was I was laughing. Well, well, like when when Lou goes into his fantasy at the bordello and he goes, "How long was they out for?" And the guy goes, oh, "Only about eight seconds." <laughs> yeah, it was like a nice little wink. Um, the one thing I I didn't laugh as much as you did. The one part I truly laughed at is uh, Lou is drawing a uh, nude portrait of Ashley. And his teacher uh, chides him, the great Curtis Armstrong, who's a character actor you've seen in a million movies, chides him for doing that and then goes back to his desk to compare Lube's naked drawing of Ashley with his much worse naked drawing of Ashley. That's a good bit. That was the very bit funny. also continues because he then throws away his own and keeps And keeps Lube's in his briefcase. Yes. Good stuff. Pretty good. Um, MVP of the movie. I got mine. I got mine. You want to try to do a one, two, three thing, or you want to just do it separately? Because they're probably going to be different. They're going to be different. Um, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I thought that Rob's mom was great. I'm giving it to Rob's mom. I like that there's, like, finally a Jim's dad-like female corollary where she's just trying to be cool and supportive of her shitty son's awful sexual experiences and makes him coffee when he's hungover, touches his cum-encrusted sock, uh, tries to be supportive of him even though she's watched him vomit on a woman while having sex and his, their dog uh, lick his dick. Oh, I never talked about that, the the opening humiliation Yeah, where he's fucking a chunky peanut butter sandwich and a dog licks his dick. Yeah, Why chunky? Would you ever fuck a chunky peanut butter? That's what a, a vagina feels like. So I like that his mom was like sort of doing her best to be cool and supportive and I think she sold that uh, way better than anyone else needed to. Uh, so I'm giving her my MVP pick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, similarly, I'm also choosing a character who uh, was really supportive and reminded me a lot of the first franchise. Like you have this character that, you know, in the face of a child growing up trying to explore his sexuality. I mean, she's there to touch his cum encrusted sock. She's there to, you know, make sure that the videos on the internet don't get him down. Like she makes him coffee when he's hungover. She tells him like, it's okay if you get drunk. It's okay, just don't drive. You know, all these things that, you know, they're very, they're, they're great. She was a great character. I'm giving my pick to, to Rob's mom. Yeah, that's a strong pick. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I see. I, I understand. Yeah. Rob's mom. Good on you. No, she's great. And she's, what's her name? Arquette. Who fuck, she fucking rules. She's a great. Ros- Rosanna Arquette, I believe. Rosanna Arquette. She is, what a weird slumming character for her. Like, she's been in some very good movies. Rosanna Arquette, yeah. She's been in some bad movies. She's like, she has a long pretty cool career and i don't know what happened that she chose to be an american pie presents colon the book of love but i'm I mean, glad she, has she did a bafta she's been in after hours pulp fiction the original crash um also did you notice that uh looking over melanie papalia's career this is of course uh, dana in book of love she plays a character called hooker in hell or high water a movie that you and i both enjoy oh yeah i did see that i was sort of scrolling around when i was i knew she looked familiar and i was like oh yeah so yeah she this the cast in this is very strange um and i think that's also part of why it works as bad as you know as whether we want to argue it or not lube's character i like the actor who played lube i even watched some really dumb short film because he was in it it's called ham sandwich you can watch it on vimeo or something and it's really bad it's about a, a guy who gets a ham sandwich that whenever he takes a bite he goes further and further back in time that's kind of cool yeah, it's a cool premise, except it's just used to watch a man like sexually assault women and then just go back and kill the Earl of Sandwich. Yeah, well, you made it sound bad now. Um, he also played live-action Cartman in South Park in 2012. Good for you. Um, all right, so thus concludes our episode on American Pie Presents Colin, The Book of Love. A real mixed bag here. I really feel like this needs to end soon. It's not going to end immediately. Please come back and join us for the exciting conclusion of the Jim's dad portion of the fucking pie verse. Of course, God, I just, my brain is melted from this experience. It's just been, yeah. this was a mistake. Right. Just stop talking. Okay. And we're done. Congratulations. Okay. Let's have been recording all this. So if we uh I wasn't recording all this. You need that, a pad. So. Okay, now we're recording pre roll. This is good stuff. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can see you too. So it must be in a Facebook Messenger thing.
Uh, sure. Happy to blame it on the Zuck. Buddy, are you ready to get into it? We're so close to being done with these motherfucking movies. Holy shit. Yeah, let's do it. I'm so happy. This is this is the last bad one. I mean, God so, willing. I hope so. Oz will be in the next one, and I'll be happy. Great. <laughs>